0: OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund, Ask an Angel. I'm your host, Jeffrey Proffitt. And today, let's welcome Isaac. How are you today, sir?
1: I am doing great. Thank you for having me.
0: We're, we're super excited. I've been following your journey for a couple of years now because the real venture world is uh, always out there talking and making things happen. You and I have crossed paths a few times, so uh, we're super excited that I got the opportunity to have you on today. And The best way we like to start is if you can share a little bit about your background all the way from those days at Yahoo all the way through, and then one thing about you that nobody would know
1: okay super uh yeah very glad to be here and love that you're doing this to to you know sh- share people's different voices so really nice to be a part of it uh i'll go all the way back to the beginning i guess uh, to to just sort of set up the story because i'm a bit of an odd duck in tech uh being that i was not studying engineering or even business i was actually uh studying religion and philosophy in undergrad at columbia i'm from the us i'm from massachusetts and i was going to school in new york so I was very much a humanities guy, reading books and and trying to like figure out the meaning of life. And some a guy in my class in one of my classes said, "Hey, you know, this was during the dot com boom, uh, so about 1998, I guess or 99." And he said, "Hey, we got this startup going. What, what you want to come check it out?" And so I got involved in this project. These three entrepreneurs who had known each other and they, we actually moved to New Jersey for a while and lived in their basement. And I dropped out of school for a while. And we were doing like ed tech uh, sort of startup at, during the dot-com boom, which did not go anywhere. So it was like, it really fell flat in the end, but we went on this crazy journey together as, as, as really young people trying to build a company. And, and so that kind of exposed me to the technology world, which I hadn't been you know heavily exposed to before and really planted a seed in my brain. Well, I went back to school, I finished my degree, I kept studying, I traveled and, and did some other stuff after school, but I had this tech experience this sort of year plus in startup land. And so when it came time to kind of like start building a career for myself, I went back to that and became a product manager. It's it's I sort of like just found a job in a publishing company. This was in New York at, at Scholastic through, uh, through some family connections. And I was a, you know, a, so they didn't even call it product manager then. It was so long ago. They called it producer, but I was, you know, the low low man on the totem pole, helping us, you know, these developers and designers and business people build educational technology, and and sort of work my way up into pro, what is now called product management, which is this this linchpin role uh, where you where you help guide the development of technology, which has become kind of really central in the technology world over these twenty years. And and so I started at Scholastic. I was there in New York for for quite a few years, learning how to become a product manager or what they call the producer, ended up getting married. We we and we decided. uh, So my wife is this awesome professor. She's now at McGill, which is why we're here. But at the time, she was a graduate student. She she finished. She got a job in Singapore. And so she brought us to Singapore. Just other side of the world, completely different, and and what an eye opener! I could give a whole podcast just on Singapore, but it's not the point. And uh, so I used that time. I went to business school. I got a, a business degree at INSEAD, which was a really great experience, and turned that into doing more product management and product mar- marketing work at Yahoo. Uh, and spent a bunch of years out there in the you know really Singapore is a very developed country, but you're 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 working the scene in Southeast Asia, so really developing markets. A very different environment for technology, very very different consumer base. So really, just learned a lot about you know how diverse the world is, and at the same time, how unifying technology is. And it's like everybody wants these cell phones, and they want the cloud, and they want the internet, and they want to do commerce. And so that the things that 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 this you know consumer technology revolution, revolution and all of the technology revolutions that we're, we're living in were totally relevant out there, but just in a different way. So awesome experience being a part of that, and also awesome experience working at a big technology company like Yahoo, where you learn sort of how things are done at scale. They had more than you know half a billion users at the time, and it was even growing. So, so a real education about what it looks like when when a company gets big. Also, a slow-moving large corporation, who to, you know, to be frank, was a little bit on the way down. So, at some point, it was like I, I think. If I felt very strongly pulled back to the startup world, where, as you know, and as anyone involved knows, just a lot more fast-moving, agile, exciting. You have more impact. You have more able to influence the, the, the projects that you're working on. So I made that transition when I was still in Singapore by, by going to work for a sort of venture capital startup studio called Polonizer, which was a great experience. Then my awesome wife uh, got an awesome job at McGill. And so we. it was a time for us to kind of move back to North America. She's from Ontario. So so we've been here in Montreal, which is sort of halfway between where the two of us grew up and, and brought We had two kids in Singapore. So we brought our family back here. And I've been in Montreal for eight years. And because I knew how to do product management and liked it. That's what I did in Montreal. I introduced myself around and uh, met some people that say, I'd love to, I'm looking for companies, looking for fast moving, fast growing uh, startups where I can work. And I was lucky to connect to the guys at Frank and Oak, uh, Ethan and Isham, while they were, you know, I think they'd raised the Series A. So they were, but early in their growth. And I came on as the first product manager and, you know, director of product and built out the product management function there and i did that for a couple of years i i went to Saunder, which is another you know fast-moving consumer focused you know sort of tech-powered company in montreal same same sort of thing first product manager built the product management function so that was my experience entering the market in montreal those companies were backed by real ventures and so i i met the real ventures team in lots of different ways i was mentoring and founder fuel the the real ventures accelerator i was Helping out at Notman House, which is sort of like a real ventures-backed nonprofit. So everywhere I looked, I was crossing paths with this group, and and they really shared, or I shared their values, or vice versa, which was around you know supporting technology and getting involved in you know backing startups, but also building ecosystem, building community, uh, bringing people closer together. Those were the two things that I was passionate about. So so we really were singing off the same the same tune. And, and when I left Sonder, they said, Hey, do you want to come try investing? And, and I was like, I mean, I, at that point I knew a little bit about what venture capital was, but to be honest, not that much, but, but I could see that it would be an opportunity for me to learn, to have impact, to interact with this community in a different way. So I was like, absolutely. Let me give it a chance. And so that's what I've been doing for the past five years. I came on, uh, and ended up becoming a partner. Uh, running Founder Fuel the Accelerator for a few years, but also doing lots and lots of very early stage investing, pre-seed and early seed investing as part of a a fund at Real that's really focused on the the Quebec economy, or sorry, Quebec startups, but kind of backed by pension funds and the government that want to see this growth in the Quebec economy, and and that kind of brings us to today. So I'm I'm five years in. So I I still sort of remember what it's like to to work in these startups and companies. But now I'm very squarely on the investor side and learning that craft and and the way that you know investors add value and still doing a lot of community building. We we just uh, I I started a big product management or helped start a big product management meetup when I moved to Montreal called Product Tank Montreal. And now I'm involved in another product management uh, sort of a collective learning group called apm montreal which is happy to talk about more so still doing the community building and bringing people together working as an early stage uh, uh vc and loving being in canada which is just you know as i think um, uh, americans underestimate uh, how awesome canada is on just many many ways and what a you know we see that it scores like number one in quality of life on these things but i don't think we don't we get it we don't get it because that's how americans are a little bit thick-headed but just has been delightful to live in this country and, and to and specifically Montreal which is and Quebec which is such a unique uh, and unusual place complicated place where I've just learned a lot uh, um so so that brings us to today that's a little bit of background and I was supposed to say one thing people don't know so so I'll, I'll just say because I was having this conversation with someone and I gave them this fact and they go oh I didn't really know that about you so I'll use it again here. So as I said I studied religion and philosophy, in, in undergrad. And I really did it as a way to study Asian philosophy and get into Eastern religion. And in addition to reading these books and, and, and studying like that, I also got at the time very into meditation and I was like doing meditation retreats and volunteering at the meditation center and running the Buddhist meditation club at Columbia. So it was a big part. It's not as big a part of my life today, but, but that, I was reminded uh, of of that the other day and it's sort of um and it is something that I I still call on in different ways so there there it is I was like heavy into that stuff um there's a little fact
0: I love it that's awesome and to to kind of peel back a little bit when you were uh um kind of the way that you got brought into this world of tech it's quite fascinating and and I'm sure that if we dive into different conversations with different people in VC world and everything else. It's always one trigger point that kind of brought you into something that changed your day or your year or now your entire career. And you went from being in obviously at Columbia for something completely different. um, And you were brought into that energized working in a group in a basement, switching cities and really diving in and the learning that is probably the best learning you probably had compared to anything else you've done today, which was, you know, that grind, that hustle, figuring out what it took to to be a startup. Um, is there any memorable moments that you had that you want to share that you can just say, you know what, this was the best thing I got out of uh, that one and a half years that I was working on the grind and, and figuring this startup out.
1: It was, it, it was very memorable uh, that the whole experience of, and it's almost like cliched, but like we literally moved into these people's basement and we're just like we lived there for a while and just tried to to so we were around each other all this time as sort of the three founders and a, and a few people who who hopped on for the ride so that whole uh, incredible cohesion and really being part of the founding team and and it's all very scrappy uh right like you don't even even after we we got money it's very scrappy you don't really know what you're doing so that whole experience of being very tightly knit with those people uh, and going through all the ups and downs was very memorable. I would say getting the funding was certainly like you couldn't believe, like really, someone's going to give us all this money uh, to to do this. So that was that was kind of a, a moment. I, I like I'm 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 sort of paging through my mind of the moments I really remember. But for sure, that meeting where the guy says yes, uh, I remember that. And we also you know we were in the basement for quite a while, and then we moved into offices on Wall Street like a proper office, probably maybe in retrospect, we should not have been in an office on Wall Street, but we certainly were there. And so that juxtaposition and having gone from like, I was, you know, basically studying philosophy to living in this basement, to to getting on the train every day, like I got an apartment in Brooklyn and getting on the train every day and popping out at Wall Street with all the other workers. And I'm like, you know, 20, 20 years old, going into this office uh, and having a job and getting a paycheck. That was that was crazy uh, and very exhilarating. Like it felt very cool. So a bunch of memories pop up from, from that time. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And, and you know, it, I think when you look at today and what you're doing, that's a really big example of being able to really work with founders and being able to share that, you know, you've gone through the the ringer and you've, you've done the same things. And, you know, maybe like you said, you advanced quickly and we're on Wall Street. Well, that's the same kind of perspective that the young startups that you guys are working with or uh, other VCs out there are working with that They're looking for that, right? They're looking for somebody to have, Hey, you know what it takes. I've been through this and do you know the pains I'm going through? And you can kind of relate to that. And it sounds like you had some great experiences that carried you through to be able to really hundred percent with these new founders.
1: Oh yeah. I, and you know, I think there's many paths to investment and some people only do the investment and they, and, and did not operate and they can be amazing investors. So it's not at all required. Uh, uh, however, having been on the front lines there, and Frankenoke, and Oak and, and even you know experience at Yale, like all the operating experience in different ways, you can call on and and build empathy, and and uh, and that's important. Uh, a, hopefully, you're giving good advice, but B, hopefully, you're doing so in a way where you are able to a little bit put yourself in the other person's shoes. Uh, certainly makes you a better partner to them, a better supporter. So yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to have had those experiences, and they. Yeah, they come they come into play all of the time.
0: And when you were taking some of this experience from this early company and you started to move into other businesses and, of course, getting into Yahoo and working your way through Singapore uh, in that ecosystem, did you find that there were some differences there that that, that popped out from being in a totally different environment um, that you kind of had to learn? And again, this stuff sounds pretty impactful, again, being in Asia versus U.S. or Canada. There's got to be some great learning, some great networking, some good communication things that have been built out along those sides Um, and jumping into big business. I don't think, like you said earlier, that's not really important. What's important is that you had to go into the grind and figure out how to make something better, especially when it was on its way out and and kind of reshape that whole product view. But you're working in a total different environment. So was there, again, a lot of great learnings there that kind of helped build you up uh, for where you are today?
1: Oh yeah. I and a couple of, absolutely and a couple of stick out one, um, you know, working in a one is about working in big tech or working in a in a big corporation. And uh on the one hand, like these are battleships. They're actually like fleets of battleships, like they're incredibly powerful. Uh, and you're like, how did how do they operate this ship, like this armada? And you go in there, you go, Oh, wow, I see like. It's a, it's an incredibly complex organization required to funnel information down and get decisions made. And, oh, if we're going to turn in a new direction, it's, it's quite difficult. And from that, you go, oh, I get it. They are powerful, but they're always vulnerable because, you know, they have so many wars that they're fighting. Like they're doing all this different stuff. They can't change direction easily. It's by working in a big company, you sort of get why they win. And also, why they lose all of these opportunities? Like, why do startups exist, and why do startups that have uh, are not just why do they exist, but how do they succeed and take over massive new markets that are right in front of the incumbents' eyes? And Yahoo, easy to beat up on, it. I always have some love for my alumni company, but like Yahoo is the preeminent example. Like they they booted numbers of opportunities that were sitting right in front of them. Messaging, search, social, or whatever, and but when you work inside of these companies, you go, oh, I get it. That's why it's very hard to jump on the next big thing. So, so that was one big insight: uh, the power of these big companies, but also the vulnerability of them. Um, working in Asia, I tipped it a little bit when I said it before, but not all consumers are the same. Not all businesses are the same. They're there. First of all, there's cultural differences. There's also just stages of economic development uh, and and stages of maturity. Like working in that ecosystem, yeah. We used to, for example, one thing you could do in the in the in the Southeast Asia ecosystem, which you can still do today, is you can sort of wait for companies to get started in in North America, see what's going on, and then you can start that company in Southeast Asia, and you know probably sell it to the North American company when they when they're looking to expand that that doesn't work here so that's like a totally different pattern that's specific to the stage of development of that ecosystem where where it's always going to be a little bit behind but but the way venture worked was different there and and so like like the world is not just one way uh there are groupings that are similar but it's not just one way uh and so that was that was a great reminder of that i think we all know that but but at the same time if you spend your whole time say in north america it's hard. It's a little bit hard to remember that not everybody has those experiences. Now, the flip side is the other thing that I mentioned earlier, which is okay. Everybody is different, and the world is not just one way. But these these like powerful secular trends we're riding, which is the power of of internet to connect people, of of mobile devices to be ubiquitous in that connection. The power of, of AI and the new software stack to make predictions and to increase efficiency in, in people's lives and in the lives of businesses. And, you know, as we see the future technology waves that I could talk about, you know, whether it's like quantum or bio or whatever, they are universally relevant at some level, right? They may be, they may be applied differently, but these things is like you go over there, you go, Oh, you guys kind of want that too. And so these are like powerful global trends. That are relevant around the world, and you 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 see that more and more. And 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 you know, we this this world we have today is one where at, the, at, at one level it's completely interconnected and global, right? And and global brands are everywhere, and communication technology is everywhere. At the other hand, there's still tons and tons of diversity, especially when you go up and down the economic ladder. So 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 that is that that won't change. You know what I mean? Like there will be iPhones everywhere, but at the same time there will be you know, kind of like people living on the street and people living for less than a dollar a day. So there's a lot of diversity in the world and that really uh, came through. Um, it's been nice to come back to North America where the speed and pace, the sophistication, the access to capital, the types of products and services you can build here are on the cutting edge because this is like a very mature economy and a, and, and a m- mature technological culture. So I had fun there too, but it has been fun to come back and see what you can do building and in an ecosystem that I is a little bit more culturally familiar to me as well.
0: For sure. And I uh, I like the line where you say that you know there's cultural differences in the areas that you're gonna they're gonna go into. I think maybe sometimes we forget that even in our own domain. That we have to pay attention to the consumer and understand them well enough so that we can sell through, and that is kind of primary piece to any business. I think that falls back into your your product side of of what you do and what you've been doing for the last twenty years. Is there a couple of um, tips or things that you can share on the product side that you know you can say? Look, here's three things that you really should pay attention to when you are building out a product and you're going to go to market. You know, market fit is key, but you mentioned one being cultural differences. Your product's going to be sold maybe in Montreal, but your goal is that it's going to sell across Canada and North America. Maybe you're going to push it into other countries. Is there a few things that really do pop out of uh, all of this that you can share?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's you know, it, pro- product management. I I just love first of all loved the role, and I, I think it's very cool to have seen. The importance of the role grow and grow as this kind of like coordinating role helping to direct all of this incredible creative energy, right? All these amazing engineers and data sciences and scientists and and designers and like incredible creative people and, and product managers were like these enablers, of those creative, hey, look over here, let's go try this, let's try to solve this problem in this way. So so it's. I, I just think it's a super fun job and I'm like still very connected to the product community. Uh, and I'm very grateful that I kind of like backed my way into that work in, in the same way now that I'm grateful to, to do VC. Um, it is hard to make a product that people really like, you know what I mean? It, it's not. It's not easy. And I think there's a lot of survivorship bias when we read about great companies and great products, and you you go like, you you hear about the ones that are really successful, and they filter down to you, and you use them. Well, for every one of the, you know, for every calendar app you use, there's like a hundred that that got trashed. You know, for for every uh, for every anything you use, there's a hundred. And If you go on Product Hunt or whatever, if you get down into the into the weeds of it, you're like, wow, a lot of people are trying to do this. And it's, it's not easy to buy. And, and why is it not easy? It's like, it's often kind of subtle. What makes the products something that they really want? Like sometimes it's not subtle and it's like, you have this new invention and you're like, Hey, we have a new kind of fuel or something that's just so obviously better. So, so people will use it. But a lot of the products we use, it's like, you know, that the iPhone, which is like this incredibly widespread product, it was like subtle why it was so much better than, than, than the other things that were around. It wasn't like immediately obvious. And then it sort of became obvious. So, so product one, one thing is just that building great products is hard and you'll, you'll find people who, you know, like they have a hit game or a hit product. and they'll be like, This was my 13th attempt to build something, you know what I mean? So, so it's not easy. Um, and therefore having these, not just the, the heavyweight, skills of coding and uh, and designing and like actually being being able to do it but but the subtler connective tissue of all of that the empathy for the end user the feeling for user experience and and how this product is going to fit into their lives you need a little bit of that special sauce often or it helps to have some of that special sauce so so the The antidote to, to, well, one antidote to getting that right product is just keep trying and it's a little bit of luck and whatever. But another antidote is cultivating like the customer empathy, subtlety. When are they gonna use the product? How are they gonna use the product? Really, really getting down in their shoes. It's not just that product managers do that. That like Everyone should do that, engineers, designers or whatever. Cultivating that mindset is really important. And I guess another one that pops to mind is the importance of distribution? So, product management—you, you sort of the. When I started in product management, especially as a producer, I didn't really think about selling the product. I, I was much more internally focused, tracking bugs and you know getting feature schedules and roadmaps. But true product management thinks about success of the product, not just like like oh, I'm gonna you know ship these features. It's like no, these sheep these features have to be successful. This product has to be successful. People need to buy it. And then you get into the marketing side, which is not exactly the same thing, but there is a lot of interface between product management and product marketing. And I've done both. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta sell that product. You need distribution. And so a great product with no great distribution or marketing strategy or sales strategy, not it's not gonna work. Uh, great distribution, in fact, is more likely to sell a shitty product to people, then a great product is gonna win just without any distribution. So really balancing and and, and sometimes like often, all of us are kind of better at one thing than the other. So so you'll you'll have these product geniuses out there who don't think enough about distribution. Then you have to say, well, hey, you either need to learn that or you need to get someone on your team who really thinks about getting this product out to the masses in whatever way is appropriate in your industry. On the flip side, you'll have you'll have people who can market and sell forever and don't have much of a product sense, and then you need to help them be like, "Hey, who can you pair with? Who can really build great stuff that will last?" So, so those are a couple of things that 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 come to mind. It's hard. You got to have customer empathy, and you got to, you know, don't forget about how to distribute the product.
0: So on that on that note, when you're talking about the distribution and the product. What is it that the investor is looking for in order to make an investment into a product company? Because they've product companies have taken a beating over the years. Because there's for every thousand product companies, one is a hit. So it seems that investors don't seem to have the same appetite because they're worried about the overhead costs, resourcing, there's supply chain, distribution, like you were talking about. There's so many elements to tie into product side. Is there somewhere where you? You know, you look at it and say, "Here's the best way to go to market. Take this product. You're going to build, chop it down to the most bare minimum." Like you mentioned, the iPhone, where it came out and it was it was uh, pre BlackBerry, so you couldn't even copy and paste on your iPhone. People were like, "This is amazing!" And you're like, "You can't even do the basic functions that any other phone could do at the time. How is this amazing?" Um, but again, you're right; it changed the world uh, because of one feature, which was all glass. Uh, and that really just opened up the whole market for them. So is there something that you can share on that side? Because I think that's important because investors really, if you kind of pull them into it, what makes them want to invest?
1: Well, that's a great, uh, great segue into the whole investment side. And the first thing I'll say, uh, it's it's been interesting to me. I, I'm a part of a lot of accelerators. I do a lot of mentoring, obviously look at a lot of investment opportunities and look at them alongside other people. And one, when you do all of that stuff, over time you go, you realize, oh, wow, investors do have not all the same perspective on these topics. Some re- really lean in to distribution and go to market plans for whatever the company. And they're, they're like super interested. How are you going to sell this product? How are you going to make money? and And those kind of investors, if you, they ask you kind of you ask them like, well, what's important to you and what should we focus on?" they'll be like, "Show me the go to market plan and how we're going to sell this thing. You might have other investors with a more of a of a of a product or engineering background who are like much more interested in talking about how the product works and how it creates value so so not every investor sees it that way and for for found if a founder is listening to this and it's like thinking about fundraising or or getting people involved with it, understanding that the other person on the table, they're going to have some perspectives. They're going to have some things that they're, that they think are important. There's there's, they're, they're going to have some things that, 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 seem less important. It's good to suss that out. If you don't, if it's obvious, great. If it's not sort of try to tease it out from them because not everybody thinks the same things are important, uh, for, for sure. For me on the product, like, so I am, you know, longtime product manager. So I probably spend more time on the products than some other investors. And when I think about products whether they be and we do a lot of different kind of investing so understand the product could be like a microchip to to that would go inside of a of a of a headphones or it could be the headphones like the company that you know you and i invested in you know uh it could be b2b software it could be enterprise you know like we do a lot of different stuff um but on the product side i'm definitely looking for 10x better like like if you make a product that's just a little bit better than the competition, even if it's like measurably a little bit better, that is a hard place to start with because, like, usually you're in some market where there are a lot of other options, and like, kind of getting people to switch over to what you have if it's just marginally better is very difficult. So we, re- I, I'm like obsessively asking the the founders, but like, how much better is this, and specifically. On what key metrics? So it's like it's either going to make it cheaper for them to do their thing, it's going to be way faster, it's going to make them tons more money, it's going to save them tons of time. Like there's only so many things that a product can do, or it's going to create some lovely kind of enjoyment for them that 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 they never had. So there's only so many things <clears throat> that these products can do. And you say like, how do you measure customer value? Is it speed? Is it savings or whatever? and like how is this not just a little bit better but a lot better and for the venture capital model in particular where we're looking for these very fast growing companies that can grow very big we really want to have a lot of differentiation if you're like selling if you're looking for lower returns and more steady growth or whatever just coming out with a slightly better product could be a great strategy you'll go win some business or whatever but we want really big winners so so definitely looking for for How do you measure customer value and are you like way better than the competition? That's on the product side. On the distribution side, it really matters for the company. Like I was spending some time earlier today doing some work on one of our companies that builds a quantum computer, Nordquantic out in Sherbrooke. We are not very concerned about distribution right now. It's just that's not all they're doing is building the product. It's not a question of distribution. When I think about a company like Whisk Solutions, which is that we invested in, which is software for bars and restaurants to help them manage their inventory. Yeah, I'm very interested in distribution. What is your CAC? What markets do you sell into? You know, How long is the sales cycle? Because you know the thing costs a few hundred dollars and I got to believe that you're going to get lots and lots of customers. I want to know what is your plan to sell and can you sell to large chains? And, and so it really depends on the kind of technology that you're investing in sometimes distribution is really really paramount. SMB SaaS is, is a good example. How are you gonna How are you gonna really sell this e-commerce or whatever uh, other stuff? Distribution is is not as big of a deal. So I'll stop there. But that's kind of a little bit how I think about product and distribution from the investment side.
0: And of course, there's going to be a lot of those points that you mentioned that you guys are going to scrutinize against because at the other day, if you're going to invest and want this company to be able to take off. Be able to get some good traction, um, as you mentioned on the quantum computing side. You're pre-pre that market launch, so you're just working for them to get to a stabilized product, and then you're going to be in there KPIing it and coming up with the CAC and figuring all of those real elements on how that company is going to actually expand. So yeah. it, I think it's very valuable to understand how an investor thinks and when they're looking at your product, they're not looking at it from "Wow, this is amazing gadget. This is so cool. We should invest." you're looking at where is this product going to be in four years? Where's this product going to be in six? And does this product have the legs and scalability from a distribution through a supply chain to get that product to be very successful in the next four to six years? And will it still be relevant? Or are they going to be, um, and I can't even think of the name now, that other phone that used to compete against uh, um, Apple was that I don't Nokia, even know, not Nokia, Blackberry. Nokia, but Nokia, Nokia. Had a,
1: Nokia had a tough run there for a few years. <laughs> yeah, there's
0: a few that just couldn't handle it, right? Because they couldn't adapt to the new change. And you know, it's interesting that products do take a shift in in look and feel. Um, you know, homes are being renovated, they're taking a new look. Everything has to be uh, somewhat created new at some point in time. And then what is that new 4.0, web 2.0? Like all those things are changing because mm-hmm. we decide that we need to change the look and feel. So, what is this product going to look like in six years, and will it scale and be able to be purchased and bought? And all of these elements have to come into your thinking as an investor. But on the product side for the startup, they have to be looking at these things too if they're going to be looking for big money.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and you know I'll you know to, on the topic of assessing deals, you know we talked about product, we we talked about go to market, but we probably especially at seed and pre-seed where we're investing, we're probably putting the heaviest weight on the team you're really thinking like well what have you done and based on what i know of you do i think that you can navigate all of those things because it's like it's mostly in the future and and we it's as you say we can't really predict how the product's going to transform how how competitors will respond how the market will develop how what other technologies will come in like it, it, it is not possible to predict those things it's also not possible to predict how the, the the team will behave but you can use their track record and your own assessment of their skills and expertise and whatever to say hey I think you all have what it takes to navigate all of that to, to go with the with the ups and downs and when a company you usually the company has done some stuff before they've come to us right they've built an MVP or they they've got something going on we also use that and say well okay, how long did it take you to do that? Uh, how much capital was required, and if it seems like whoa, they're they're really making good use of their funds. They're moving quickly. They're executing well. You 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 take that whatever data you're given, whether it's a year or two years of stuff they've had already accomplished, not to mention all the things that they might have done earlier in their career, and uh, and then you project that out. And so we we put a, a heavy weight on that because that's the thing. At least we can see in front of us, um, as you can see from that description this is one of the reasons why there ends up being a bias towards repeat founders and people with more experience is because there's more stuff for us to measure and look at. And, and it's 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 a bit of an ironic thing because like a lot of the great, great companies will be created by first time founders who have no track record just because who knew what they were capable. Of. Think about Francis from, from Sonder, which is about to go public. And I worked there and saw him operate as a very, very young guy. And you know, you could see, well, this guy is really something special. On the other hand, it's hard to take a risk on someone that's that young and and, and people put a lot of money bravely behind uh, but behind such a young team. And obviously he surrounded himself, himself with lots of great people uh, to support him. So there's a bias against first-time founders because there's a there's a small data set. On the other hand, a lot of you know Mark Zuckerberg. The list goes on and on. and so you go like there. There's lots of people who have done it from a very, very young age. And so if you, one, one in our portfolio, because I've been focusing on pre-seed, we did back a lot of first-time founders, and it's been great to see that it's not just the people with experience that can do it. And often the first-time founders uh, bring so much energy and and ambition and charge to it uh like i'm thinking of a company i work with a lot lately called axio that we invested in very very young guys but the 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 energy that they bring to it that the 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 learning curve that how quickly they take things on how how fast they want to level up as as team members that that the energy of of kind of youth and when you're on the the upward curve of your career is very very powerful so um it takes it takes all kinds as you know venture capital is you place a bunch of bets and some of them turn out incredibly well and others not as much and and sometimes it shocks you which are the ones that turn and and some of it is luck and the the market forces there's a lot of things at play uh, so it is a uh, I've been uh, I've been impressed by how difficult it is uh, not totally surprised but then coming from a product manager product management has its own challenges but the you're trying to ship something for the next quarter or the next year. So it's a little bit closer in distance what you're trying to achieve. Uh, venture capital, these these bets, as we call them, take years and years to play out.
0: I love it. Uh, very thorough. And, and there was many, many points that I've, I took down on there, but um, well shared. Uh, I, I think, you know, the biggest one is that you got to look at it. Like you said, it's, is this going to be something that can 10x? Can this um, really take off? Can they support it? How strong is the team? it doesn't matter if they're first or second time founder there's always biases out there but at the end of the day it really comes down to what's the tenacity and drive that that founder is going to carry and and can they really take this further than you know day one uh you know call it uh, first day of uh university and are they able to uh make it their way through and and graduate and and that's what you're really yeah. looking for so it's Uh, It's pretty amazing and and great share. There's a couple of things that I, I, one thing that I want to ask about and we'll just quickly do it before we transition. But um, you mentioned community, you built some communities, you're very strong and passionate about the product community. How important is that to a business and for your view of wanting to invest in, in an early stage uh, pre-seed company about a community that they may or may not be building?
1: That's a, that's a great question. And this is a big trend now. I, I I think I would have answered this question five years ago a little bit differently, uh, but now, you, I think a lot of companies are proving the power of community as a sort of incredibly authentic form of marketing, as a way of de-risking the early phases of growth in a company, as a way of of kind of capturing people's attention and. And creating those virtuous circles, even if it's small groups that everybody's like into this thing. So it depends on what kind of product you sell. Obviously, consumer products, I think community is, is likely to be more uh, relevant, but you can see it in B2B as well. And, and and you know, like I, I'm thinking even, for example, uh, so we have a company that we've invested in uh, through our accelerator, Halio Sleep uh, or Halio Clinic, which does uh, uh, sleep. Um, uh, they do sleep therapy. So it's like a, like digital therapy, but focused on helping people sleep better and dealing with insomnia. And, and this week they're going to hold their you know first national conference because they have enough people using this product that they're going to bring everybody together and talk about sleep and therapy and, and employee health. And so this is a B2B product, but of course, like you bring this community together and now people see at another level, what they're involved in, why it matters. They, they create connections and, and now, I mean, look at all the big, big technology companies that now basically throw their own conferences just to announce their products. Like, what are they trying to do? They're trying to build community and and build affiliation. So, I think it's 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 extra relevant these days. Uh, there's a lot of. We live in a very noisy, very complex world. There are a lot of messages out there on a lot of different. Uh, platforms trying to get us to do something or pay attention to stuff. And also, in some ways, we have less community than we ever had. We we live much more sort of individualistic lives, especially, uh, you know, urban dwellers. So I think that leaves a little bit of people are overwhelmed by these messages and they're looking for things to connect to. And that really raises the importance of, of finding community, even in the products that you buy, or the stuff you do in your in your business life, so I think it's 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 very relevant these days. It's something that we now sort of say, "What's your community strategy?" Where we wouldn't have said that, and and I'm even thinking of it. Uh, I'll, I'll stop after this, but one company that's done very well for us uh, Bot Press, which is a uh, which is an open source tool set for building conversational flows in the enterprise, like so building little chatbots to request a ticket from IT or or get, you know, get a, get your time off from HR. This is what, and this is an open source software that has built a big community around building the software and distributing it and using it. And that's how they get customers. Now they have other ways, but like that was their source to all their initial customers was through this open source community. So it can be for some companies, it's like their main form of marketing uh, is community. And that shows you how powerful it can be.
0: I love it. Wholeheartedly agree with that. I think it's something that you really have to think about when you're building your business is how can I what's my outreach? Where are all the areas I'm going to connect with people? But how do I get people to really be part of the journey? And I think if you can tie that community in, they can live, learn, you know, social investing, all of those things are becoming pertinent to that community because people do want to invest in the companies that they like and invest in the companies that they Um, use their products from. And that all goes back to the community that that group builds. So I I think it's really relevant today in the investment world. So I I love that. Um, We're going to kind of shift now into uh, just before we get into the rapid fire questions, have one question, and it's kind of geared around any sort of story that you have that really shows what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And you've shared lots of great um, stories of founders that you guys have invested in. Is there any story that you really thought, "Wow, this is what it takes to be a founder," and this is what's going to get somebody excited to decide tomorrow that uh, they're not going to work to quit and they're going to take and build their own company?
1: Well, sure. I mean, so many. And <clears throat> but but when you know when we prep for this one, and you t- you were talking about resilience, and uh, which is, and we've mentioned it here on, on the conversation, grit and resilience, which is like one of these. Personality traits or behavioral traits that is really essential to the entrepreneurial path. You can almost say it's like defined by resilience and grit because because it's so difficult, especially at the early stages. So so that that is something I I knew that I knew from working in these companies. So I've always been aware of it, but have taken on a new level of awareness and appreciation being an, an investor. Because I've gotten to back so many companies and therefore have really seen people <coughs> go up against it and and come through. like down to the last day of of cash flow or you know closing that sale, we've just seen incredible determination. We just see it all the time. It is the it is the essence of the entrepreneurial path. And especially during Covid, which was just a sucker punch for now. For some some companies, it was really great. Uh, ironically, a lot of companies it didn't really affect one way or the other. But a few companies, if you were in food and beverage, or you know hospitality uh, stuff like that that relied on big people, uh, big, big groups of people meeting, it was just like absolute devastation to the to the core business. So I had a few of those companies, and one that comes to mind who who has now really turned the corner. On the other side is is Stay Twenty Two. Uh, Andrew is is the CEO. And first of all, w- watching him, we invested in 2017 through Founder Fuel, and he and he became the CEO during the program. So just watching a guy like him mature into an amazing CEO has been so phenomenal. Like he has a very very high growth curve, and then so he's growing and growing and like becoming this awesome CEO, and then he just gets smashed by COVID. And, and you see, like, well, what, what's he going to do now? We lose ninety percent of the revenue within only a couple of months. And just cool as cool as a cucumber, making the decisions, applying for the grants, making hard decisions and cuts where he had to cut, you know, cutting down the team, but like always doing it in a conscious, you know, a, authentic way, not really fear based, responding to the scenario, turning the company into like survival mode for like a whole year. How do we just survive, you know, maintain our cash and, and this is not going to last forever. We can get through this. In fact, how do we use it as an advantage? Rebuild the product, fix this, change that, change our cash cycle. And now the market has come back. They're totally the market leader in what they do, which is this kind of affiliate um, you know, uh where, where you're able to drive traffic off of a ticketing website or a media site into, into travel purchases, and they are the, the affiliate interface. So they're just killing it now. And just so like the, the so happy for to see someone like that succeed, uh, sort of get what they really deserved, and also just stunning to see the resilience, the grit, the sort of coolness under fire, uh, to respond to all of these things where it's like, hey, this is not my fault. Like, why is this happening? No complaining, just making it happen. So that's one, and I I, I could sub out Andrew's story with you know five other entrepreneurs who also got hit by hard by COVID and have also kind of adjusted in every way possible to come out the other side. So, so that's, it's been a real proving ground for people and just incredible how they step up.
0: I love it. Great story. And uh, kudos uh, to Andrew and the team for uh, being able to work their way through that, but very, very exciting. And as you mentioned, it's always um, interesting how a CEO will approach something. And he obviously looked at it as, Cool as a cucumber, as you mentioned, but taking everything uh, that they needed to do and shift in the right direction and uh, work through it. So that's uh, that's a great story. We're gonna we're gonna shift now into the rapid fire questions. So the way they work is one or the other.
2: Ready to roll? I'm ready. All right. Business questions first. Would you rather invest in a founder or co-founder? A founder. Unicorn or four-year 10X exit? Unicorn. Tech or CPG? Tech. Brand or tech? Mm, Brand. AI or blockchain? AI. First-time founder or second or third-time founder? Second or third-time founder. First money in or series A? First money in. Angel or VC? VC. Board seat or observer? Observer. Safe or convertible note? Safe. Lead or follow? Lead. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? Just getting to work with entrepreneurs. They're incredible. We'll hardly agree. Number of companies invested per year?
1: Uh, at our, we, we were doing about 10 a year, uh, a little slower this year as we pulled together our next fund. Brilliant. Uh, any preferred terms? Fair terms that where everyone succeeds together.
0: Verticals of focus.
1: Uh, we are, we're, we're broad based, but I'm especially interested in, in deep tech and, uh, IP first companies.
2: Okay. Two things that stand out for you if you're going to invest in a startup founder and the market opportunity perfect all right we're going to know go the personal questions book or movie book superman or batman batman pizza pop or ice cream bar pizza <laughs> five minutes of bezos or oprah five minutes of bezos <laughs> Arsenal or Manchester United? Arsenal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> They're a fan. Brilliant. Uh, I'm assuming you're a fan, right?
1: I, I, I got no love for Manchester United. Let me put it that way.
0: Uh, okay. Well, at least you're thinking about being an Arsenal fan. That's good. All right. Pike or Rollerblades? Pike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets?
2: <laughs> Big Mac. <laughs> Trophy or Money. Money. Beer or wine? That is tough. I'll go with beer. Alarm clock or mobile phone? Alarm clock. No phones in the bedroom. Oh, nice. Hotel or hostel? Hotel. King or rich? Rich. Concert or amusement park? Hmm. Concert. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? <laughs> birthday cake Ted talk or book reading ah, book reading has life been boring without Trump <laughs> just fine <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey you're also an American so I'm just making sure I know you've become completely Canadian and being that you grew up where you have you're almost Canadian anyhow So
2: basically <laughs> um... alright so favorite sports team ooh
1: I'll go with the Celtics.
2: Oh, nice. Little Larry Bird days. Yeah. Favorite movie? And what character would you play in the movie?
1: I'll say The Godfather. Um, who could I play? Um that's a good question. I think I'd probably play Tom Hagen. Which character was Tom Hagen? He's like the conciliary. He's not the star. Oh, oh, I don't yeah, think yeah. I can. I don't think I can pull off Michael. Maybe no, Sunny was pretty good. May, maybe Sonny, the hot headed guy, but he gets shot pretty early. All
0: right. I like it. I like it. I actually was just watching that whole series uh, about eight, eight months ago. I haven't got through it all. I think I did first and second. Yeah, but great, great series.
2: Uh, favorite book. Favorite book um infinite jest
1: infinite jests infinite jests David Foster Wallace it's um it's
2: it's a doozy but recommended all right done perfect good recommendation all right first brand that pops into your mind coca-cola most famous person that pops into your mind Barack Obama nice all right last question what is your superpower
1: um interesting I would say connecting people um and talking
2: those are two good sets to have I like it brilliant
0: well Isaac I'm going to say that you shared a lot. It was brilliant. I enjoyed the entire conversation as I do. I took a ton of notes. I'm uh, old school on that side of it. Uh, But uh, again, thank you very much for all of the things you shared today. Uh, It's been great to get to learn more about yourself. Uh, And of course, the rapid fire questions were great. I find it's like a big science project. So I get to learn lots, but the rest of the world gets to learn a lot as well. And uh, we're happy that you were able to jump in today and share a little bit about yourself and, of course, what you guys are doing at um, Real Ventures. And I hope that in the future, we'll get to have you come back and talk and share more stories because you've got some great uh, founders and some great companies that you've been working with. Uh, But like we like to do and the way we like to end our show is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to investors or to the startups, we turn it over to you. And thank you again for all your time today.
1: Well, thank you. It's just a treat. It's a really fun conversation. Uh, my last words: it, it sort of depends on who's listening, but but if you're already, you know, for the founders, as I've said, like it, it is all about the the entrepreneurs. So much respect to what you're doing, and it, it's just incredible how the world changes due to the basically the will of people to see it in in another way. So keep doing that thing. And and for those who are watching, who are trying to maybe think about getting more involved in into the startup ecosystem, um, this is where it's at. I, I'm so happy to have devoted my career to this community. I think uh, we're doing awesome stuff, kind of making the world better, safer, more efficient uh, in all sorts of ways. And uh, so now's the time if you're not already involved uh, to get involved because there's lots of stuff, uh, great stuff going on. Um, thank you for putting this together and for for doing this work. I think it's really cool.
2: You bet. Again, Isaac, thanks for all your time today. Brilliant, right. awesome. Thank you. Have a good one.
0: Okay, that was awesome, Isaac. Just uh, pulling all the punches there, but shared a lot of detail around uh, the product side. I think that was pretty valuable. You know, talking about building community, which is huge for your business. When they're diving in and looking at what it takes to invest in a founder, you know, they got to look five, six years out. They got to look at, is this product relevant? You know, what does it look like? Are people going to 10 X, can they 10 X this? A lot of great things there. Uh, Awesome background, of course, from the Yahoo days all the way to Saunders and Frank and uh, all these great businesses that he was part of and being able to take uh, what he knew in the product marketing side and really help these companies take over and, and grow. And now looking at what they're doing at real ventures, just phenomenal. Resilience and grit—that's what it takes to be a founder and what it takes to win. And uh, again, uh, thank you very much for that uh, deep dive in everything and around product. It was brilliant. So, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and/or Stitcher. Uh, Please like and comment. It always helps everybody else find us as well. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja.
2: Thank you, and have a great. Great day.